welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and we're all about the rock and roll today, starting with our favorite rock and roll Hall of Famer, Duff McKagan, and the patented Duff McKagan joke of the week. Hey, Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Hey, listen, uh, I know it's a little private, but I, I just bought a, a toilet brush. Yeah, to cut a long story short, I'm going back to paper. Thank you very much. <laughs> Oh, that was ridiculous. Oh, thanks to Duff for delivering the laughs every single Friday. That one got me. Always nice to start the weekend with a laugh. And like I said, Talk is Jericho is all about the rock today. It's the return of the classic album, Clash. And this time we're dissecting and debating the police. We got their very first album, Outlandis to More, versus the last studio record they released, Synchronicity. Taking part in the discussion, I got Anthrax drummer Charlie Benanti, who's participated in a few classic album clashes in the past, including one about his own band, Anthrax. I got Paul Gargano, a longtime industry vet who's also a huge police fan. And I got Ribo from the Winnipeggers talking some great stories about the crazy relationship between Sting and Stuart Copeland. Uh, he is, of course, a Talk is Jericho alumni and all the trials and tribulations they went through, fist fights, name calling, all sorts of crazy stuff. Plus, we'll do the usual track-by-track, track, talk about the cover-up for both albums, songwriting, touring, how such a prolific and influential band managed to become so with just five albums under their collective belt. We talk about the police's influence on Rush and vice versa, another legendary Hall of Fame trio, of course, and the Beatles' influence on the police. Now, there is a clear winner at the end of this debate, but it might actually surprise you which album comes out on top when all is said and done. Let's get to it. It's the classic album class featuring the police's Outlandos to more versus synchronicity and it starts now on talk is jericho playing the part of a modern day charles manson here is paul gargano <laughs> but we're uh we're just gonna hop right into this we uh COVID paul, here. we got paul gargano and charlie Benanti and uh and uh and ribo ryan ahoff all of us huge police fans from different places oh charlie's got his notes he's prepared oh Oh. <laughs> but we were just saying, Paul, obviously we're doing the Police Classic Album Clash, is that uh, the Police was such a huge band, but to find people that are super knowledgeable and almost police fanatics, it's harder and harder because that was almost 40 years ago that they were a band. Yeah. They weren't active for the longest time either, which is crazy. I mean, you have all these bands. We get really accustomed to bands that just keep churning out material over and over again. And the Police put out, what, like five records? I mean, they're one of the yeah. biggest bands in history, and they just they don't have that body of content that everybody else has, which you would think would make it easier for people to dive into them because it's not like it's holy. Where do I start? Like the Rolling Stones. Right. Where do you start with the Rolling Stones? The Police. It's really easy. You have five records. Dive in. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to think of another band that has that much influence, that has that little amount of material, and I thought of of two other ones. You guys can jump in if you think of those. One of them is Guns N' Roses. Basically, four, three albums, four if you count Chinese Democracy. <laughs> <laughs> and the other one is the Sex Pistols. One album. One album. Right? With B-sides and other little things. Yeah, a couple extras here. But basically, it's Nevermind the Bullock. So, you, 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 so you've got like Police, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Sex Pistols, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers. Guns and Roses, but, the, but 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 add them together, and like you said, it's it's less albums than freaking you know the Beatles put out in in three years. But what about Boston? Yeah, yeah that's a good four one. albums. I mean, right? 
Uh, they're not. I don't know the, the influence, but man, they they. I mean, they defined classic rock for a long time. You know, are I mean, they as, are they as artsy as the Police and everything else? Maybe not, but man, they three records, three records that we know. But then there was a fourth one. Uh, Walk on was in there. Third stage, right? Third stage is the third one. Yeah, yeah. Third stage was third. That was with Amanda, right? Yeah. Yeah. Then there was Walk On. Yeah. There's not. Okay. What's the other one? There's like Corporate America. There's one that that no one knows, right? Yep. (laughs) So there is like technically five, but three that everyone knows. But is it Boston? It's not like those. The uh, the first two records, that band. It's different, right? Yeah. It just became on the third album. Yeah, it became like uh, like like Megadeth, like Tom Schultz and whoever he had playing with them at the time. You know, it, it actually Boston that? became Maine. They just. <laughs> 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 were, were not those Boston albums? Were they? They were kind of spread out over a long, per- longer period yes. of time, weren't they? They're were like ten years apart or oh, something yeah. as well. Right. Well, I think, he had, the joke was every other president. <laughs> Yeah, they, I think it was 76, 78, and like 86 or something along those lines. But but we're talking about the police. Uh, we've been waiting to do this for a long time. And um, our, always our classic album, Clash, and, and, and Charlie's done a few of them. Where is the first time you ever heard about the police, and when did you kind of feel a relationship to them? And you can start, Charlie. I heard Roxanne on the radio station in Long Island, I believe, uh, and WNDW in New York was another one on Sundays. They would play Things from England as a radio show. And heard Roxanne and uh, completely grabbed me. It was just like everything about that song was just awesome. You know, the hook, mm-hmm. the drumming, the kind of reggae chords, you know, that, that feel. It was awesome. I was hooked right away. I remember uh, Billy Joel saying that when he first heard that, he, he's, he was convinced that Sting was black. He said, there's no way a white guy could sing like that. He's very white. <laughs> He's the whitest exactly. of the white. He's even whiter than Billy Joel. <laughs> How about you, Rye? What was the first time that you remember hearing the police? Uh, I had uh, the Message in a Bottle uh, 45 that I used to play. So that was kind of my the first record I had by the police. And that was the only song I really knew other than the B-side, which was Landlord on the opposite <laughs> of that side of that, which is a real ripper. I love that song too. It's, it's, but that's a, it's quite a difference there. But that message in a bottle, I think I've probably heard more than any other song in history. Like I've heard it so many times and I'm still not sick of that song. Like other mm-hmm. songs I, I'm sick of, but for some reason that comes on the radio or I'm in a supermarket and it comes on, I still, I still like it. There's just so many great things about that song. It's so original and the drumming is amazing and, Everything about it is very cool. How about you, Paul? I want to go to the. Sh- I want to shop at the supermarkets you shop at. If you hear <laughs> the police in this grocery store, get the police in our grocery stores here. But I, my, my first was uh, Zenyatta Mandata was my introduction. Uh, it would have been Don't Stand So Close to Me. It was one of the first cassettes I bought with my own money, and that was yeah, that was that Zenyatta. It was, I was not, I did not have, I, I, it's, it's strange because I have like, obviously the metal background, but I got into pop music first because I didn't have older brothers and I was a complete, still am a complete nerd. So it wasn't like I was hanging out with the older kids. Um, I literally was discovering music on my own on the radio and my mom, it was what stations she had on in the house. So it was like, I fell into 
police, Duran Duran, Culture Club, all that stuff before I moved into mm. the metal world. So it was interesting. Like this was this is my sweet spot when it comes to music. Well, that music was everywhere too. Like they would play it uh, on the radio. You would see kind of the early kind of uh, rock videos. You would see. You would see. I remember. Because uh, for me, it was like you said, Zenyatta Mondata, which I think is 1980. So I'm like nine years old. And I remember like, don't stand so close to me. They're all like dancing around. It's kind of like a like a like a modern day Beatles where they're just oh, they're having so much fun and they're all blonde. And so I went to the store to try and find do 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 da 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 on. Uh, by the way, which when I had Angus Young on Talk is Jericho, he was like. What do the lyrics even mean? It's like the do 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 the da da da. What does that mean? I'm like <laughs> nothing like a forty year old reference, Angus. <laughs> <laughs> but he just heard that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. He just discovered that. <laughs> so I went to the store, like Target or whatever, like kind of a Walmart, to find it, and it was all sold out. So I was like, well, I'll buy this other police song, which was "Can't Stand Losing You." Uh, backed up with Be My Girl Sally. So those were the first two police songs that I ever owned. And Rob, when you say you've heard Message, I heard Be My Girl Sally just as much because, and we'll talk about it, it's it's very like, you know my name, look up the number by the Beatles. It's, it's, it's so weird, but if you're a Beatles fan, you're like, this is actually really cool. So Can't Stand Losing You was like my song. I think it was in grade five or six. And that was kind of like what I listened to. You listen to it and you turn it over and listen to it again. <laughs> Every four minutes, you're turning the damn thing over. I was going to say, uh, talking about like liking pop music, because uh, I kind of came from the pop, you know, same with Paul. I came from the pop world and then I got into metal. And Police, for some reason, was a kind of a crossover band. Right. You know, they, they rocked a lot harder than... Uh, and differently than other pop bands at the time, you know, like Corey Hart or something. They, they, mm -hmm. had, they had something to them that was the metal fans and us could grab onto. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's almost kind of like we mentioned, I mentioned the Beatles before, but they, there is that element of Beatles where they have the reggae, they have the ska, they have the super syrupy pop melodies and the ballads, but there is a metal side to them. Whether you're talking about, you know, Synchronicity 2 or, or even Synchronicity 1, I mean, those are, are pretty heavy tunes. So they always had that kind of a more of a, of, a, of a heavier, darker sound to them. Do you agree with that, Charlie? I do, but I, um, I don't know which one of them brought it. Was it hmm. Did he bring it or did Stuart bring it? I don't think Sting brought it that much. Right, right. Or maybe he pulled a McCartney and just said, you know, I want to try something really dark and, and dirty. The other connection I have to the police is that the police was the first concert I ever went to in oh, August. Wow. Yeah. August of 1983. My, I had a couple older friends that I hung out with and my mom let, let me go to the concert with them. Uh, and the first band I ever saw live was the Thompson twins. Cause they opened for the police. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> oh, man. I didn't get to see the police until the reunion. So that was, wow. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Same. That was, I didn't get to see them until that. Did you ever see them live? Charlie? I never saw him. So you never saw him in the early days, yeah. We were going to go see them at uh, uh, Shea Stadium, 83, but we didn't go. And then the reunion happened, and I, I, I didn't feel like paying 500 bucks to go see the police. I thought, <laughs> I thought, <laughs> I thought that was a crime. <laughs> pay that much Why? to see the police. Chris, you'll appreciate this. I was actually in Seattle doing something with Queensryche. I was doing like the last recorded interview with Chris and Jeff, DeGarmo and Tate, and the police reunion was there. 
Mm. that night it was like it was one of the first nights of the tour and i was like oh i'm going i literally went down and bought a scalps ticket i bought a scalps ticket by myself and went and so i was losing my mind i was like texting my wife through the whole thing going oh my god it's the police it's the police (laughs) well it was funny because ribo and charlie and i were talking beforehand about the reunion and remember remember my uh wise cousin chad he joined the police fan club at that time where you remember that right you're supposed to get like cheaper tickets or something all ended up costing him was like 27.99 a month for like six months <laughs> didn't get anything for it <laughs> nice. so did, did he get like an identification card that said he was a member of the police the police army <laughs> yeah. Yeah. decoder ring <laughs> oh, oh drink God. your oval teen <laughs> but um like we said the, the the band of this influence of such a short period of time but um you know, two of the records that they did, I, I thought it would be cool to do kind of their first record, Outlandus, Demore, and then their last record, Synchronicity, even though it was only five years apart. So, um, which once, which once again, to see the development of this band, it's almost like a mini Beatles in that they just did so much in such a short period of time. Definitely. The Beatles comparison, did you bring it up earlier? Because it's that was the one thing, especially going back and like outlandish in particular like there's just so much you hear the beatles in there you really do i mean it's it comes oh, through absolutely. I, I i became a beatles fan later in life i didn't grow up on the beatles but it's just crazy because you notice their influence in so many places and i mean there's police songs that you would think could be beatles songs like if the beatles were writing an album at that point it could be a police song i totally agree with that That makes sense oh, absolutely <laughs> There's also a, a real kind of dichotomy between the two bands in that what was their genius was also their demise. And that was kind of the relationship between Stuart Copeland and Sting, similar to John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. In that Stuart brings Sting into his band, John brings Paul into his band, and then slowly loses control as the guy that he brings in takes over the whole show. And I think that caused a lot of animosity between Stuart and Sting. And that's why they broke up so quickly. Yeah. It's the struggle. Right. Definitely. I mean, they, uh, it's a struggle. (laughs) Charlie just summed up the music industry in three words. It's a struggle. (laughs) Would you say, right? But like you said, like that's, that's partially what makes great music is that there was that someone there that could, uh, you know, like in the case of the Beatles, like John could say to Paul, no, that's, that's a little too fluffy. Let's, let's get some grit here, you know, where Stuart right. could say, Hey, Sting, you know, that's a little, that's a little too lovey dovey. Let's, let's put some, you know, some fight into it and make it a little bit more energetic and stuff. And they literally did fight each other where to the point where Stuart broke uh, Sting's rib right before a gig and he played the whole show with a broken rib. That's pretty intense. Yeah, they would go at it, man. I was like shocked to 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 find out all that stuff. And Stuart would write on his drum on his drum heads, you know. Yeah. Off, you know? Yeah. And uh, it's it's funny you said that, but if the Beatles would have stayed on tour, they may have broken up earlier. Mm. Because because maybe if, if the police didn't tour all the time, maybe they wouldn't have got on each other's nerves and maybe they would have spread <laughs> out a bit more. I would also say that might be one of the reasons why McCartney was probably can see the writing on the wall and said, let's get off the road so we don't, you know, kill each other, right? And like Charlie just said too, uh, Sting would write, or Stuart would write 
phrases on his snare drum. <laughs> I believe one of them was, what was one of them, Ribo? <laughs> phrases. Off you cunt was one. <laughs> and so every time you hit it, because Stuart was on talk as Jericho too, and said every time I hit it, I was taking out my aggressions on Stingo. <laughs> He'd also set up his symbols like to the side. He started setting them up to the like like you know horizontal. So right. Uh, yeah. So uh, or vertical, so that he wouldn't have to look at Sting the whole show. Yeah, I remember that on the synchronicity tour because, like I said, you're talking from the mind of a 12 year old. But I literally remember. The whole stage was bathed in yellow, blue, and red, like the Synchronicity album cover. And whichever one was which, Sting was all red, Andy was all blue, Stuart was all yellow, and they stayed in their areas. So they might have moved around a lot, but I think you know if Sting was in his area, Stuart could kind of blockade himself away from that. <laughs> So the two records that we're talking about once again is Outlandos Demore, which apparently is something that Miles Copeland, who was uh, the manager of the police and Stewart's brother, came up with. He was going to call the record Police Brutality. <laughs> but then he heard Roxanne and said this is way more than just this punk new wave stuff. And so he, he came up with Outlandos Demore, which is a uh, combination of Outlaw and Commando of Love. So it's the Outlaws of Love or the Commandos of Love. Whichever side of the coin you uh, <laughs> you you think about, and that was released November second, nineteen seventy eight, uh, and Synchronicity came out June seventeenth, nineteen eighty three. So not even five years later. Um, so as we do on the classic album clash, we always talk about the covers first, and the first cover obviously was a little bit more basic of just the band. Um, kind of just hanging out as we can see as I look. And of course, Synchronicity has the amazing color scheme and all that sort of stuff. Which cover do you appreciate more, Charlie? Uh, the first one. Really? Why is that? Uh, I just love the, they're all just so kind of young, except for Andy, but they all look <laughs> uh, very young and they just have that look on their face. Like, you know, here we are. And, just like we don't know what what to expect, you know. Their eyes are just, you know. But there was always some weird mystique about Sting, though, back then. Mm -hmm. Why was his name Sting? Why did he wear that jump jumpsuit? You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I always wondered about those things. And uh, the one thing I'll say about it, because I used to, I used to like like listen to Bob certain Bob Marley songs, even when I was, you know, when I would hear them, and. I always felt Sting had a lot of that Bob Marley quality. The way he would phrase yes. things was very, you know, reggae. And mm -hmm. uh, it was so, it was different. And, you know, because of the police, I started to hear like the, the selector and the specials and the beat and all that type of stuff. And then, you know, Joe Jackson, all that music, Niccolo, Elvis Costello, I started to appreciate all that stuff coming from England. But, that cover kind of, I don't know, just kind of symbolized that first record, just kind of like these three guys. You don't know if they were punk rock or what, you know? Yeah, even by their sound, you didn't know which one it is. Ryan, which cover do you like better? I'd probably say the, uh, probably Synchronicity. Mm -hmm. I like the color scheme. Apparently they released like 63 different versions of the album cover. Yeah. All, all around and, and just different. I don't know why they did that, but it seems like kind of a weird thing to do. Was it different pictures or different colors or what? I think there's some different pictures. The color scheme was a little bit changed so around. 
they basically all everything shifted across all of the oh, scripts. Oh, I see. So all this, and I literally, I was going to bring this up, so I'll just jump in with Ribo here. Like it, it was crazy. I, I'm a huge, I'm a vinyl junkie. Like I've, I've got like almost two thousand records on vinyl, and I'm obsessed with like variations and stuff. And this one is one that mystifies me. Oh, nice, very nice. This, the the synchronicity is one of my favorite records of all time, and the cover amazes me because I don't understand the logic behind the variations that they put out. Like, mm. and it's almost, it's virtually impossible to collect them all. I mean, it's just to find them all. It's crazy. I mean, it's just it was such. I don't understand why they did it, and I was hoping somebody on the call today would know why they did it and be able to fill me in. But it's it's crazy. There's all those different variations of the cover. It's insane. That's that's what I was hoping too, Paul. And you got both <laughs> so far. it's literally i want to say he's right there's like somewhere of like there's dozens it's like i mean i think you said like 61 or 63 or something there's a ton of different covers out there and they're all just they're just slight differences they're differences in you know in the in the film strips it's crazy Uh, i like um and i gotta agree that that i i appreciate the uh, album cover of uh, of synchronicity because I like the fact that they use the color scheme as part of the live show, and that to me was the genius of it. I'm actually reading about it right now the album's original cover artwork designed by Norman Moore was available in 36 different variations. 63 with- were dyslexic, <laughs> <laughs> and it says uh, different arrangements of the color stripes and showing different photographs of the band members taken by Dwayne Michaels. The most common version is Sting. Reading a copy of Young's Synchronicity, of course. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But even looking at it right here, they got some. One of them is yellow, blue, red. The other one is red, blue, yellow. So they really, uh, and probably the reason for it is just to try and sell as many copies to collectors as they can. I'm sure there's somebody out there that has all 36 or is trying to get them. It'll be it'll be like the, collecting all the different variations of the Led Zeppelin uh, in through the outdoor, like except there's 36 of them. But yeah, I'll, it'll it'll be something I dive into at some point. But it's 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 crazy. It's you're a collector, woman. You're a collector, Charlie. I'm surprised you haven't uh, delved into that. I wasn't a big like police collector. Like if it gotcha. was the Beatles or Zeppelin, I probably have it. Just one more thing, like for me, and I, I synchronicity is I prefer synchronicity, but I kind of feel like the, the two covers speak to the development of the bands too, yeah. because it was a very punk. That first one was a punk cover, you know. That was very the three guys. You know, you looked at them visually, you saw who the band was, the short haircuts. It kind of spoke to what their music was. And synchronicity, it was a simple cover, and I think the music was a lot simpler on that record, even though it wasn't simple music. Um, synchronicity was more complex uh i kind of consider synchronicity kind of the police's version of the wall a little bit and for me at least and i think the album cover depicted that which is part of the reason why i like that i mean there's separation and isolation within the album cover on synchronicity that i appreciate more over time as i appreciate synchronicity more over time so but you know the other thing about it is uh the first album it started the theme because the second album had the three of them on the cover mm-hmm. in, you know, in a certain look, the third one, they're on the cover again, and then Ghost in the Machine completely wiped them off. Completely so up. here's yep. the return of the, of the three of them back on the cover. But not necessarily, though, because people say that the Ghost, Ghost in the Machine is a digital representation of each guy on the cover. Have you ever heard that before? Never heard that. All right, Rival, you've heard this one. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. That's the three guys there. 
you can sort of see their shaggy hairdos and everything. <laughs> so you're in uh, it had to be pointed out to me though for sure. I didn't I actually have it. a ta- I have a tattoo of that because of that reason, but let me pull it up and show it show it to you guys. So when you see the cover, right? And this is something like when you turn Dio upside down, it spells devil. You never notice it until someone pulls pulls it up. <laughs> until they point it out. Then you're obsessed with it. So look, look, I, I can't zoom in on it, but you can see the three faces. And look, you can see to the to the left. Oh wow. A mouth, a nose, and an eye. And that's kind of like uh Andy's hair, because it's normal. Right next to him, nose, mouth, eye, stings uh spiky hair. And then another one of nose, mouth, eye, and Stuart's kind of swept bangs hair. You see that, Charlie? I see it, but I don't, I'm not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Charlie's like, that's fake news. <laughs> fake news. <laughs> one last thing I'll say about the cover as well is that, um, about Orlando's, is that it's a punk cover, but it's also a new wave cover. And that's kind of what this band was at that point in time. They were a little bit punky, but they're far more kind of that, like you said, Charlie, like the specials and, and Susie and the Banshees kind of new wavy type punkish at that point in time. Yeah, they made people dance when you went to see them. Yes, you couldn't deny the, the pop hooks behind them. Here we go, man. It's, it's the battle. Opening track, Next to You versus Synchronicity 1. Uh, Rybo, why don't you start? Which one do you choose? Oh man, that's that's a tough one. They're both like they both set the tone for for each album. They're both super peppy songs. They they kind of you know next to you definitely has a the punk thing going for it, and that energy just right off the hop with Stuart coming in and the toms and everything like that. They uh, it's funny because next to you uh, they were saying to Sting that he you know don't write these you know loves it's a love song it shouldn't be a love song they should say I'm gonna take a gun to you. That's what they wanted. I'm <laughs> not going to sing that, you know. So they said, okay, just as long as you sing it with, you know, some angst and stuff like that. So Sting, you know, he really let it rip. Like that whole album, that whole first album, he's just, yeah. you can tell he's just pushing his voice really hard. He's kind of got that Lennon thing too when his, when his voice breaks up. Like I really love that, that style of singing. Uh, so, I mean, I, I just love that. It's weird too, though, because it's a punk song and it's got a slide guitar solo in the middle, which uh, Stuart said was old wave. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, but Synchronicity 1 is just so, so amazing. That just, you know, you, as soon as you hear that song, that I know the rest of the album's coming and it kind of excites me for that album. And it's just so peppy. And that ride cymbal thing at the beginning. And I just remember seeing that live too, uh, like the Synchronicity concert and just Stuart playing it and just looking like insane. Like he just killed someone or was going to kill someone. He's just looking into like, yeah, to nowhere. Right. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say Synchronicity, but I love them both so much. It's tough. I, uh, it's funny because they played next to you at, on the reunion tour as the final song, which was great. And they didn't play Synchronicity, which I felt that was missing from the set. Uh, and it is funny to see, Crazy Stewart at 23 or whatever he was in combination with Crazy Stewart at 53 because he still has a crazy face, but now he's got giant glasses and a headband. <laughs> and it's not quite as crazy when he's got these big... It's like Phil Rudd. The only guys that can get away with playing drums while wearing glasses in an arena is Phil Rudd and Stuart Copeland. 
That's it. Charlie, don't ever wear glasses on stage. You can't get away with it. But but like like Rye said, I think next to you is great. And if it was up against another song, I'd probably choose it. But synchronicity, man, that's the first first song I ever saw live by the band that I paid to see. And uh to this day when it goes and then of course the classic super pretentious sting of using the term spiritus mundi <laughs> as the lyric <laughs> which means hold on it means uh world spirit and a muse of sorts that provides inspiration to the poet or writer i mean come on sting <laughs> did because I could go check online and look, but it just came up now. Did they play Synchronicity in its entirety when you saw them on that tour? Yes. Or they just opened. They did. So they did the album in its entirety. Oh, no, 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 oh, no. Not okay, the okay. Album. They played a lot of it. Uh, probably six so or they seven didn't songs. Play straight through. Okay. No, I, I, like, yeah, they didn't play. They didn't play straight through. Nobody wants to hear Mystery. But they, but they opened with Synchronicity. That's yes. why I was curious. They usually, they usually do Synchronicity one and then right into Synchronicity two, I believe. Oh, wow. No. Yeah, nobody wants to hear Miss Grudenko live. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie might feel different. Too. Me too. I love that. <laughs> uh, Charlie, which 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 is your choice? Next to you is just uh, to me. It's a classic song, and how could you not move to that song when it comes on? You know, we did a cover of it too because we loved it so much. Really nice. I didn't yeah. know that. And uh, you know, it's the first song on their record, and it's just like. That is just an amazing startup. Damn, it just hits you. I'm gonna say synchronicity one. It's it's weird. It starts off and it sounds kind of like a world music album. It doesn't sound like the police to me, you know. Yeah. And that's why I said earlier I'm not a big fan of synchronicity. It didn't sound like it sounded like the what's coming from Sting solo, you know, record. You're right. Yeah. And um, I don't know. Yeah, I just didn't like it that much. So I'm going with you. Next to you. All right, Paul. I'm. I think uh, this might be a cop out, but I think as a song, next to you. However, as an opening song on an album, I think Synchronicity. So when you're looking at it as the opening song on the album, I just I feel like Synchronicity just sets it sets the table for what's coming. And I, on its own, I might listen to Next to You before I listen to Synchronicity. But I think Synchronicity works better as an opening track and works better in setting the table for what's coming. So I'm going to go with Synchronicity. So you think it syncs up better? I think it syncs the album. Yes, Synchronicity syncs up, yes. I I was just reviewing... I think it stinks up the album. (laughs) Synchronicity. It's a really really good point, though, that you brought out about Sting's solo material because this this album really does... It Sting's solo material, especially that first record, feels like it's an extension of Synchronicity. Exactly. More more than Synchronicity, yeah. it feels like an extension of the four Police albums before it. And you can see that coming. Another reason why the band broke up. Because I was even different. just looking at the set list for the tour, and they played eight songs off Synchronicity. So, I mean, that pretty much sums... And the only songs they didn't play were the ones written written by the other guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, too, like, uh, the Alandis is, like, they're just trying to find their sound. They don't have their sound yet. They're kind of... It's, you know, it's supposed to be a punk right. punk band. That's what Stuart wants, but it, it quickly changes, and it's not really that. So they're trying to find themselves, and then by synchronicity, they're actually trying to, like, get away from themselves. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. they had, like, there's bands like Men at Work and Wang Chung that were kind of stealing their the reggae sort of yeah. pop thing, and they, they didn't really want to sound like that anymore, so they kind of were 
we're moving away from that and definitely towards you know sting was moving towards his own solo material well and it's like you said too i mean it was still stewart's band without landis or at least you know stewart and stings by the time synchronicity rolls around there's no question whose band it is oh know? absolutely all right track two this is kind of a a monster of a tune in so lonely versus walking in your footsteps footsteps a song that actually uses the word brontosaurus in the lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> and if it's not Iron Maiden, I'm not sure if I want to hear that in a song. <laughs> Who do you think, Paul? I think I got to go So Lonely on this one. Um, yeah. I'm a, I love walking in your footsteps, but So Lonely, uh, you put it best, you said monster. I mean, that's just So Lonely. Just That's a, that's a powerhouse. It, it crushes. And uh, you know what? It crushes the brontosaurus. <laughs> I'm, I'm going so lonely it's funny um walking your footsteps and they you see it live because they, they break it down and it's all played and sting's actually playing a pan flute you know, and i guess from from what i heard and i think ryan could back me up on this that sting was one of those guys much like mccartney who could go find an instrument and mess around with it charlie's probably the same mess around with it for 20 30 minutes and suddenly he's ready to play it on an album and uh, that's why Stewart said that Sting is so good, he should have been drowned at birth. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. But um, I got to go with So Lonely. That's just one of the greatest tunes. And um, like you said, Charlie, that was actually written off of a uh, Bob Marley riff that Sting was listening to. He wanted to do kind of a Bob Marley and the Whalers type of a vibe. And something else that I kind of heard is that when Sting was first, and this could be urban legend because he'd already been playing for a long time. But singing and playing at first, Sting wasn't uh, uh, as good as he would become. So he used to leave a lot of spaces in between his bass lines to sing the melody lines in there. And when you hear So Lonely and, and, and Bring on the Night and uh, Walking on the Moon, it seems like that's a bump, like, like, like So Lonely, like, somebody, like there's not a lot of riffage there. It's more of just keeping it open so he can slice in with his, with his melodies. Right, uh, I'm taking so lonely. So, what do you think, Ryan? Uh, well, I'm gonna have to say so lonely. I mean, that's their that's the f police format right there. Which they got the reggae kind of verses, the punk rock, uh, you know, chorus, uh, tons of you know, just the layered vocals and everything there. Uh, I, I love walking in your footsteps too, which is which is great. But uh, so lonely is really. You know that that's the formula right there, and I love the live version. Uh, that live album they did in '95 that was released is just amazing. Tons of improvising on there and stuff. I love yeah. it. And right at the beginning of that <laughs> song, uh, here I'll, I'll say I'll say Sting's part, and you say what Stewart says. <laughs> this is called no wait. I'm so lonely. I can see why. <laughs> <laughs> and the other ver and the other one and the other one is you you sing it, Ribo. You you intro. You be Sting. I'll be Stewart. I'm so lonely. I'm not surprised. <laughs> there we go. You can, hear, you can hear Stuart say that kind of on the drummer's mic off off air. And then Sting laughs awkwardly. He's like, ha, 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 ha. Charlie, which which one you got? Uh, so lonely or, or walking in your footsteps. I do like walking in your footsteps. I love the way that song just starts out. Mm -hmm. Again, it's, it's, it sounds like it could be, uh, you know, a world music record the way it starts off um great point but i mean i gotta go with so lonely look think about the way that song starts starts on the upbeat right mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> you know so it's like uh, right there it's like <laughs> but there's a guitar solo in this song too yes 
and I love when Andy does guitar solos because they come out of nowhere. Mm. It's like, wow, something just happened here, but I can't, I don't know exactly what it was, but it was a guitar solo. But that's Andy Summers for you. You know, he just throws in these things that is just so, wow, that's awesome. I, I love that. I got to put that back. But come on, so long is, it's, it's the police. It's, it's yeah. a signature song. I, I find it, see if you guys agree with me on this, that Andy Summers very much reminds me of Alex Lifeson in the way he plays, right? Like, and he's so overshadowed by Stewart as a drummer and Sting as a bass player and singer, Getty, Neil Peart. And Andy, much like Alex, he plays in moods and phrases and shades. But once in a while, especially later Alex Lifeson, but, but when he r- rips out those solos, like this, obviously Alex is probably much better at that than, a- than Andy is, but... Andy's a great guitar player, man, but most of the time he just sits in the back and chords and lets Sting kind of play the leads, but not in this case. Can we touch on that? Because you just mentioned Please. Rush, and I always felt Rush took some of the police stuff and made it Rush. Ah, yeah. In what way? Oh, dude. Listen to Neil, especially mm-hmm. on the Signals record. Hmm, which is right at that time. It sounds like Stewart's kit that he's playing. You know, he tuned it a little differently, like Stewart. Alex got this texture now, like sounds like Andy Summers a bit. There's a delay and there's all these things going on. And uh, it's a great point. It's not the outfield, but it's it's, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's definitely like, wow, they influence. And then they ended up using the producer. Pat- Hugh Padgham. Hugh Padgham. And you're exactly right, because I forgot to mention that the first Outlandus Demore was produced by the police. And then synchronicity produced by the police and uh, and uh, Hugh Padgham, like you said, wow, who did do those Rush records? So that's a great point because that was the same time frame as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely and, all and those like high hats. Also, point out it was a trio. Yes, right, exactly. Okay, we move forward to track three, which is, I mean, gosh, I'd even compare I this. Roxanne, you have to go. You <laughs> have to talk about this. Roxanne versus Oh My God. <laughs> I like Oh My God better. <laughs> no, no, I'm not. The, the one thing I'll say about Roxanne is when Eddie Murphy did it in 48 <laughs> hours, in uh, what, what not trading places, 48 was, hours, 48, 48 hours. hours, dude, that was the one of the best parts of the movie when he sang <laughs> Roxanne. Um, do you guys know that story about the beginning of Roxanne, the laugh and the piano part? Tell us, is this true? That Sting accidentally sat on the piano, like leaned back and, and sat on the piano and they left it in and he laughs. Yes. yes. That's true, oh. right? That's, 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 that's what, what it says everywhere online. Yeah, he kind of sits on it and goes, brown. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they left it. Once again, yeah, I mean, there's really no comparison. I do like, oh my God, I remember when I was a kid, when I bought this record, I just love this kind of a jam at the end and Stuart's just losing it and like with the, with the saxophone solo. It's really cool. It's a, it's a good tune, but I mean, how do you compare with with Roxanne? That'd be like you know Maxwell's Silver Hammer versus Yesterday or something. <laughs> so, but it's so weird that it's number three. That song, right? I don't and, know about the way they paced the record. That's another thing. The the pacing of the record is strange, but I kind of especially. The older I get, I feel like I identify with synchronicity more and more. I feel like there's just, and again, maybe it's because it's more of that sting becoming the pretentious scholar solo artist <laughs> instead of like the punk rock new wave thing. Um, but the I feel like the pace 
oh my god works where it is as a yeah. lead into everything else that's coming up and it's yeah. it's this this album definitely wasn't you know if we're putting together records from an a and r perspective we're putting singles in a certain spot you know you're you're leading with your strongest song you've got a strong song third you've got a ballad in a certain place this album just completely like no album before it just defied all of that like you flip to side b and it's single 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 and their albums didn't do that before. And I can't help but feel like that was intentional. I think, too, like if you're looking at Walking in Your Footsteps, followed by Mother and Gradenko right before Synchronicity 2, that they needed the up tempo kind of a rocker there. Yeah. So it fits the point. Like I said, Sting probably wrote this song in five minutes. I don't know. But to me, it's still a great tune. It's just not worthy of, of, of Roxanne's status. You know, it's, 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 it's just, it's angry and frustrating, which is like, it also just to the whole tenor of the, ra- the record. But yeah. Yeah, I right. feel I feel, like, I feel like it kind of sets up the rest of the album kind of nice, but it also seems kind of like a throwback from Ghost in the Machine. It's a very Ghost in the Machine mm. type track where it's got the horns, it's kind of funky, hungry for you type thing, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know if that was the first that. song written, but track. Uh, then we go to the fourth song, "Hole in My Life," versus uh, well, "Mother." There you go. <laughs> now we start wondering you're like I, this is why i love the classic album class you're like oh it's obviously synchronicity until you do the track by track right so now here we are with, with hole in my life once again versus versus mother now mother is one of those kind of strange uh andy summers tunes and there's three of them that i can think of is uh, be my girl sally which i mentioned earlier and we'll talk about there's mother and of course then there's friends uh, which was the B side of do 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 da 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 da. So Andy probably loved that the fact that all these huge singles had his song as the B side. I probably heard Friends more than I heard any other song on, on Zenyatta besides do 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 do. But I'll, I'll start off with this one. I mean, Mother is you know once again it's a strange almost Zappa esque type of a tune. It's fine, but uh, I mean, Hole in My Life is is much more kind of one of those early Sting kind of reggae new wave type things with like yep yep. So uh, I'm taking a hole in my life. What do you think, Rye? Oh, well, I got to go a hole in my life, too. I mean, what, great great live song, too, to just get everyone. To, yep. 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 You know, yep. just getting everyone jump. It's such a bouncy song. You just see people just, you know, bouncing up and down on pogo balls before there were pogo balls, right? But, great whistle uh, test. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but Mother is also pretty interesting, too. It's like an odd time. It's in 7-4, which is they don't do too many things like that it's kind of cool middle eastern kind of solo in there and it does kind of like charlie's saying like kind of have that that world music kind of feel synchronicity sort of has that and it starts getting a little bit uh, exotic with mother kind of gives you that little touch of this exotic type music that is going to come later at the very end of synchronicity with the last couple Mm -hmm. tracks you're very it's also also some two points i want to make this is some great lyrics like every every girl i talk to becomes my mother in the end like Boy, ain't that the truth, right? <laughs> We're all terrified of our respective others. Um, <laughs> but the other one is that, that once again, when Stuart did Talk as Jericho, he said that because he grew up, you guys know that his dad was the head of the CIA, and he grew up kind of uh, in Iran, I think it was, right? Is that where he grew up? Somewhere in the Middle East. Iraq, yeah, somewhere. He said that his early years of drumming had that Middle Eastern feel because that's where he was living. So he always had that Middle Eastern uh, mind frame when he was putting together his percussion parts, which Charlie, like you said, you've mentioned world music many times. That's where it comes from is his background of growing up in in the Middle East. And his solo albums kind of go even deeper. Right, right into that. Charlie, what do you choose between Hole and uh, Mother? 
I like um, Hole in My Life reminds me of a Beatles song, especially yeah. that break section. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's a good point. And yeah, I like that song too. Mother, I also like. This is this is a tough one because I do think this is a really good Andy Summer song. That line you just you just mentioned, Chris. It's like Andy had that Monty Python type of thing about it. Right on, bingo. Yeah. And he'd hit with those things. I'd bounce her in the kitchen, I'd bounce her in the hall. <laughs> you know? It was it was just funny. It could be a skit on a on a Python show, you know. Um, right. Yeah. His yeah. playing on it is really, really good too. So I don't know. I'm gonna go with a hole in my life. It, it reminds me of a of a Beatle tune. So yeah, I'm gonna go hole in my life. By the way, so far every song is on the first album for me. For you, gotcha. Okay, <laughs> Paul. This is I. I want. I really, really want to say mother on this one, but I think I got to go with hole in the life. I mean, like Charlie said, there's definitely a Beatles esque quality to this. The Mother to me almost plays out more like an interlude than it does like a full song. Like it, it's, it's like a bridge. Right. Um, yeah. And it, it's, I love it. I think it's great. It's powerful. It's like one of the most more jarring moments on the record for me. Like it always just snaps you to attention. And like you said, the lyric about it, it becomes my mother. Uh, it's just like, you feel it. You go like, God, I hear you. But at the same time, <laughs> It's just, it's not like a full song. It feels like it's more of like an interlude to me. So I'm going to go with Hole in My Life for that reason. And I get that that Beatles-esque quality to Hole in My Life. Just It's just infectious. Yeah, and, and like you said, Charlie, there's a real kind of uh, uh, first side dominance over uh, over synchronicity, but that ends very quickly. But um, is it fair? Is it fair though to judge? Because is it fair to judge an album by which song you like more? Because I feel like there's also a cohesiveness that goes into the records. Like if if at the end of this, I mean, you know, synchronicity is one of my favorite records of all time. At the end of this, if track by track, I like songs more on the first record. Does that mean it's a better record? Or oh, does it like cohesive? It's always interesting having this conversation because I've done it with Kiss records before, where it doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way. Well, and the thing is with the classic a classic album clash is that we both we all agree that these are both great records. It's just you know we're delving into it and and, and kind of seeing the it's like the nerdy nuances of it at this point. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. exactly. So so um, it does it doesn't really matter because we both agree that, that I put on either one of these records and love every song. So. Uh, here, here's one that I always forget how it goes until I hear it, which is Peanuts up against Miss Gridenko, which is Stewart's. Uh, uh, actually, both these songs are Stewart's contributions uh, to, to each record. Stewart and Sting wrote Peanuts, and Stewart, of course, wrote Gridenko on his own. What do you think, Paul? God, this is kind of like. I don't want to say this is the who cares for me, but this is kind of like the, it's like, and they're both the last song on side one. It's just like, just we'll put it away. But, um, God, uh, I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with Miss Gridenko again. It's, it's getting the edge because of the whole, the way the album plays out for me. I feel like it, the, the flow, it has a better flow to it within the context of the rest of the record. And I just peanuts is one that I just don't need to hear all the time. It, it's just, it's, it's, I feel like this is where the delineation starts between the two records, because this is where like synchronicity just ramps up and becomes a behemoth with songs. I mean, side two of synchronicity is just 
oh, insane. We'll, it's probably, we'll probably the greatest side two ever. And I feel like this is where it starts. You know, I mean, it's just peanuts to me. Just it just doesn't doesn't do it. Right? Right. Who do you think, Charlie? I like elements of peanuts. The sting towards the end where he's really pushing it, pushing mm-hmm. his voice. You know, but yeah, like Paul said, it's a, like whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with Mrs. Uh, Miss Credenco, because this song reminds me of something that should have been on Regatta de Blanc. Mm. And and he does a great solo in this song. So I'm going to go with, this is the first time I'm picking the synchronicity song. (laughs) Miss Credenco. Uh, What do you think, Rye? I agree. I think uh, the one thing I really like about it, it it does sound like a track from Regatta. So it's kind of nice that there, you know, you get... You get Mother, which is kind of saying, okay, they're not all going to be hits on this album. It's this, obviously, that one's not a hit. But Miss Gerdanko, too, is just kind of a throwback and it's got that cool guitar stuff. And the, the drums are amazing, and that there's all these like really cool things going on there. Peanuts is about Rod Stewart, which I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of funny. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. I guess he, Sting was kind of, he used to idolize him and then thought he kind of sold out or whatever. Jeez. <laughs> Jeez. Sound familiar? <laughs> <laughs> but uh there's also that weird solo in there like what is that it's like an oboe or a, a melodica <laughs> or a sousaphone like what is that it hurts <laughs> it does. It <laughs> but so i'm gonna go gradenko for sure and it also i kind of like how as far as synchronicity uh going together like how all the songs kind of flow and they're all it's kind of like a concept album like like paul said it's kind of like the wall a little bit and you got mother where he's talking about the phone call which is like a a, a star fall a phone call it joins all right and then miss mm. credenco is kind of almost like one of the uh you know one of the office girls that pouts and preens like uh cheap tarts on a red light street, red light street. You know? wow yeah. <laughs> well I, I love credenco i think it's great you know i walked in here uh thinking peanuts but Miss Gradenko, man, it's, it's, you know what I love about it too is it's a Beatles song. And what I mean by that is it's super hooky, it's super poppy, and it's two minutes long. And in 1983, nobody was writing a two minute song where most of the early Beatles stuff is very short. It punches you, it gets you, and it goes. If it, if it was a four minute song, it wouldn't work, but it's perfect for, for a two minute song. And I always wondered who Miss Gradenko is. It had to be someone that Stuart knew. When he was a kid, maybe a babysitter or a science teacher or something along those lines, you know? What an awkward name. Like, you know, that's not going to be a hit. Like, here's the new hit <laughs> by the police. Miss Gridenko. Miss Gridenko. Exactly. All right. Now we go to uh, another uh, monster. Uh, actually, it's, it's this one's a tough one for me. It's Can't Stand Losing You versus synchronicity two that could be the hardest one on the record for us to have to choose who wants to start with that one basically this is impossible (laughs) right because it is uh can't stand losing you is that's a signature police song everything about it is the police that's that's their sound that's their brand you know but then you hear synchronicity two that's the police dude that is the police this is a hard one. I, I don't. I don't even think I could. I'm going to go with synchronicity too. Yeah. Only I'll tell you why. Because of the video. Ooh. <laughs> with the with the dark Scottish lock. Kind of like uh, I don't know, apocalyptic looking Mad Max type of themes. You know, I just 
I love it. And I love the way Stuart plays in this song. He holds it back. Hmm. He probably wanted to rip at, at one point, but he just held it back so much, you know. And uh, yeah, it's a great song. Great riff, too. So metal. Mm, very metal. And it's funny because every band that's tried to cover it ever since, you mentioned Queens, right? I know there's been a few. Nobody even comes close. Nobody even comes close I to this. Touch it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't, you know what? I wouldn't touch any police song. I mean, well, nothing from this record, at least. You know what I mean? Because this is very different level stingo type stuff you know yeah i'm gonna go uh geez gosh synchronicity to probably one of the greatest sets of lyrics written of all time and ribo and i have talked about this at length about how we think well I, I won't speak for ryan but you can agree with me we 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 feel i feel that the song is about a guy who's ready to kill his family and he's got this mundane existence of, you know, just uh, grandmothers screaming at the wall, shouting above the din of Rice Krispies. It's, my life is just boring and terrible and packed like lemmings into shining metal boxes. And his life uh, is just, you know, it's, there's nothing going on. And daddy's staring into the distance. And deep down inside, there's something crawling from the slime at the bottom of a dark Scottish lake, right? Um, and then finally the, 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 the monster comes to surface and there's a shadow on the door of a cottage on the shore of a dark Scottish lake. And this is the murderous intent that's finally come from the depths, which is now risen. And now it's about to come out and, and, and he's going to kill somebody, you know, and that's really to get really deep about it. And then of course the other great line of um, every single meeting with the so-called superiors humiliate is a humiliating kick in the crotch. I mean, it's so just degrading and just, ugh. yeah. I mean, I love can't stand losing you. That might be my second favorite police song of all time, but synchronicity too is my favorite. So that takes the, uh, that takes the cake. What do you think, Rye? Very interesting. Actually, now that we're talking about it, I mean, it's kind of interesting because both these songs are almost like a suicidal they're both kind of right. like suicide in a way, right? Or homicide or something. I don't know if I agree with you 100%. I like your theory of, of uh, the synchronicity lyrics, but to me, it's a more broader uh, idea of just, uh, you know, Sting's kind of um, political uh, kind of outlook or environmental look outlook on life that where, hey, we think there's this thing that's, that's uh, you know, this Loch Ness monster that no one really believes, but it is there and it is slowly creeping towards us. And if we just try to pretend that it doesn't exist and we just pretend that nothing's going on, eventually it's going to come up and it's going to just devour hmm. all of us. So I kind of think of it as more of a big, bigger, uh, not bigger picture. Thing. Thing. Although it's, it's a very personal story and, and I love the lyrics. They're great. And I have to say, can't stand losing you is one of the best police songs and it's probably the best song on outlandus, but synchronicity Two is maybe the, you know, maybe my favorite song. So I'd have to go synchronicity Two. And I actually point out too, that, uh, they, when they released, uh, can't stand losing you, it had the, uh, the cover of it was Stuart standing on a block of ice with a noose around his neck. <laughs> and so it got pulled from the shelves and stuff like that too. They didn't want to release it because of course he was still so trying as, to put punk thing, you know, as the ice melts, then he would hang. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Paul, 
I think this I think this song is a great example of like when everything about the police comes together and you you brought up you brought up like people trying to cover it and like well, that Queensryche cover is a great example. I feel like I could talk ill of Queensryche because I love them so much I can get away with it. It just came across like a bunch of people sing delivering a song with yes. absolutely no context and no feeling. It was just kind of like that was just it was just bland and just Jeff's just delivering lyrics. He wasn't connecting with them. And the, the beautiful thing about this song, it is my favorite police song because of the lyrics. I'm a lyric guy. I'm not a musician. I'm a I, I love words. This this song is literally one of the most perfectly written set of lyrics I've ever seen in music. And like the dinner, just shouting over the dinner of our Rice Krispies. It's like, God, even as a kid, when I didn't know what any of this meant, that's that line meant something. It was like, you got it. It was just like, cause the snap crackle pot, the line about the wife, just like the mundane, like shouting over the mundane minutia of her day. I, I agree with Ribo. I don't know that this is technically about somebody going and, you know, going to kill their family. I feel like this whole record is about trying to find that connection in the world that we're just not finding. And this this song is just, you know, you've got your perfect life. You've got your kids. You've got your wife. You've got your house. You've got your job. And you know what? You hate your life. It's mm-hmm. just you're not happy. And I feel like it's about trying to find that connection that, we're, that so many people are missing. And... Uh, Everything about it is just it's just an attack on that nine to five blue collar existence that is crammed down people's throats. And I just I think it's I literally think it's a perfect song. Just just to add one thing in there uh, is is Andy's guitar solo. His choices for this solo are, are just brilliant because he could have played a shredder solo. He could have played whatever, but he chose something that really fits the vibe of the song. It almost sounds like if you want to go the Loch Ness Monster route, and I've always been obsessed with the Loch Ness Monster, it sounds like what might be playing was as the Loch Ness Monster is underneath the surface coming up. Like, it's just, dude, it's perfect. It's brilliant. The chemistry of everybody working together. Like, you don't need an over-the-top guitar solo. You don't need, I mean, everything just melds perfectly in this. But a lot of guitar players wouldn't do that. Like Charlie said earlier, to, to play that restrained, knowing that you've got, you don't get a lot of solos when you're in the police. Here you go, Andy. Here's your four bars. What am I going to do? I'm going to make weird squealing noise. Like it's a very Alex Lifeson thing who probably got that from, from, from him. I, I'm just going to do little weird, moody, textury shade, shading things. Atmosphere. Atmosphere, yeah, right, atmosphere. Charlie? Definitely. Exactly. He's great at that. It also has that kind of industrial sound to it as well, right? Which is that? Which is the lyrics? Yeah, yeah, the lyrics. Yeah, and it's kind of neat because "Can't Stand Losing You" too is a kind of a the suicide. You know, he's a young teenager with suicidal thoughts, and then the synchronicity too is like a middle-aged man going through suicidal thoughts. I've always loved the line, "And my LP records, and they all scratched. (laughs) They all scratched. Yeah, all scratched." (laughs) It's, but I think that's the darkness of the police too, which is what it's, it's the heaviness, if you will, you know, you don't have to yes. be, you don't have to be a metal band to be heavy. That's and right. there was just, there was always a heaviness to the police. And that was something I identified with really, really early. They weren't bright and poppy, you know, before, before I got into black Sabbath, before I got into heavy music, the police were pop, but they weren't happy. 
They were they were on the radio, but they were heavy and they were sonically. You knew you were hearing something that was deeper than typical top 40. It's deeper, like you said, Rybo, deeper than Corey Hart, deeper than men at work. It was there was something again. The songs were right up there. It goes back to the Beatles comparison. The Beatles always had that darkness. And I think a lot of it stemmed from the relationship, good and bad, with Stuart and Sting. All right. Now we do. This is where it starts getting to be a, a massacre possibly uh, <laughs> truth hits everybody versus every breath you take next <laughs> i mean uh every breath you take it's one of those songs like enter sandman or you shook me all night long or stairway to heaven you're like i never want to hear this song again until you hear it again and you go holy shit this song is just amazing the only thing that i'll say and obviously i'm choosing every breath you take is that um that ding, 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 that guitar part was written by Andy, and Sting used it and never gave him a songwriting credit. So thanks, Sting. <laughs> Rival, you can uh, you can elaborate on that. Didn't you read the article about that one time? Oh yeah, and he said he made however many millions of dollars, and and he said yeah. Well, Stuart said well yeah, give uh, give Andy some of that money. He said, I spent it already. Yeah. <laughs> thanks a lot. Puff Daddy, Puff Daddy can use it, but yeah, the Puff Daddy riff is all Andy's riff. It's just the riff. That song is so much that riff. If he didn't come up with that riff, I don't know if it would. It wouldn't have had the same impact that that it does. It's like the riff in Message in a Bottle. It's the same type of right. You yeah. know, Andy wrote that. Definitely, yeah. You know, it stinks of him. Wasn't there like some kind of an original arrangement of that too, where it was like a bossa nova or something? He. It was quicker or something like that. I can't remember exactly how it was. There's was, somebody messed with the arrangement on that. All I know is this video was played 24 seven yeah. on MTV. <laughs> totally. Yeah. And uh, what is the snare drum kind of morphs into the ashtray or the ashtray morphs into the snare? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I remember it had a, it, it was one of the first videos that was black and white, but it had a bluish tint to it. And, uh, yeah. I also think they did one with like a red tint and then a yellowish tint. Oh. Um, MTV. Wow. I, I, I just remember this song constantly everywhere, like with or without you. And that yep. it was just yeah. everywhere. Yeah. You couldn't get yeah. away from it. You go, you go to the bathroom, it's like, oh, f- this song is on again. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't deal with it. The thing is, too, is that Sting was so perfect for MTV. I mean, the guy was at this point, too, like he didn't just have his little goofy blonde like he had the spiky hair and the cheekbones like dude that guy was he was the sex symbol of all sex symbols he was perfect for that for mtv he was new wave he looked like yeah a, <laughs> uh, new wave personified it was sting you know what i mean just yeah. everything about him he's the picture right but this song like i love the song don't get me wrong but yeah if i don't hear it again i'm fine <laughs> and like I, what's the one he wrote if you love somebody, set them free. Yeah, set them free. Yeah, yeah. I don't want to hear that one either. <laughs> <laughs> this band was just so pervasive in pop culture. My eighth grade math teacher, who I, since I'm about to say not nice things about him, I won't name his name, but he had like this. He had like the, the really creepy pedophile mustache, and he probably wore a toupee. We're not sure. And he had a super thick New York accent. And he was great math teacher, but it was just funny. He was, and he was like one of those guys that was trying to be hip. And whenever he would pass out our weekly math quizzes, he would say, 
whatever move you make, I'll be watching you, like trying to get us not to cheat. And, he would, and it, by the end of the year, we were so sick of hearing him talk, like quote the police. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Song by a landslide. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know what? I agree with Charlie too. Probably we all are. We're pretty sick of hearing it. I don't, it's not like messaging a bottle for me. If I, that song comes on the radio, I'll, I'll probably change it. I'm tired of it. Sting and Stuart, they almost killed each other in the studio regarding yes. the song. And uh, Hugh Padham or whatever, almost left the session during this, this particular song. Uh, and then there's like no hi-hat in the beginning of the whole song. Just starts. There's like no, it's, I can see just staying, just turning it down, saying, uh, just get rid of that. No, I think he's playing <laughs> it on the floor, Tom, and the, and the, and the snare. Yeah, it's very It starts with like a flan. And he doesn't play the hi-hat until I think the pre-chorus. Yeah. Can't you see the evil on me or whatever? Yeah. Which, but, so this song actually in 2019, I don't know if you guys looked it up, but it, it actually is in, it got a, an award for having the most radio plays in history. Wow. Yeah. So there's a BMI award or whatever that said over 15 million plays or something like that. So you know, it beat out, it beat out uh, you've lost that loving feeling. <laughs> you know, Andy Summers must be a pretty nice guy because I'd be outside of Sting's with the shotgun going, write me a f- check right f- now. Yeah. <laughs> And just as a quick uh, line of what Ribo said, the recording process was fraught with difficulties as personal tensions between Sting and Copeland came to the fore. Sting and Copeland hated each other with verbal and physical fights in the studio. The tensions almost led to the recording session being canceled until a meeting involving the band and the group's manager, Miles Copeland, resulted in a truce and agreement to continue. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we've all been in bands, with the exception of Paul, like, Guys get on your nerves, but can you imagine getting into a fist fight in the studio with your band? I mean, maybe you have, Charlie. I don't know, but I was thinking if it ever gets to that point. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, I've I've probably refereed more band fights than you guys have. (laughs) I was on the road with one of your bands and witnessed fist fights about three or four times with those dudes. I think you were on the last tour before they broke, before the singer got tossed, right? That's the one. Yeah. That's the yeah, one. Yeah. That was the one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now we move on to another uh, Born in the 50s versus King of Pain. Another song that if you never hear it again, <laughs> right? I mean, <laughs> but K- King of Pain starts, I, I think we've done this before, Charlie, where, where we sit down and listen to weird uh, ent- entrances on the drums and everybody's got something to hide. Except for me and my monkey is one. Um, was it House of a Girl Gone Bad? Yeah, that's Girl Gone Bad. And King of Pain is another one that comes in kind of strangely. Now, when I brought this up to Stuart, he looked at me like I had three heads, but I've listened to it a bunch of times. There is something weird about the entrance of that song. Am I totally off base on this? You guys are drummers. It's it's weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's just. It doesn't come in on the one. It doesn't come in quite where it's supposed to. It's like a little bit delayed or something. One and a half or something, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, wait. I'm not thinking of King of Pain. I'm thinking of Raptor. Bound, 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 bound. There's a little black spot on the sun today. And then it goes bound, bound. Ding, 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 ding. Right? That's where he comes in. He comes in on the N. One N, right? He's yeah. Well, my point is, is it like the Beatles? Like, did he do that on purpose, or is that just when he saw it? Because when I told it to him, he's like, "No, I didn't. 
I didn't come in weird at all. I'm like, and of course I'm just melting. Like I don't know. I was like, well, sorry. I thought you did. <laughs> I'm sorry. sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Never tell a drummer he came in at the wrong time. I know, right. <laughs> But there is something to it, though, isn't there, right? If you listen to it, it's like you said, the one and. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who's probably got a complex at this point. What's that? After everything, especially a drummer who's probably got a complex at this point for all the heat he's taken from the doors. It's like, oh. Oh, my God. What a weird lineup that was. Stuart Copeland in the doors. Like, who thought that was a good idea? Very weird. Oysterhead, I understand. But the doors? <laughs> Yeah, this song to me, for this song has always been linked in my head. When I heard when I heard Black Hole Sun for the first time from Soundgarden, it just for some reason brought me back to King of Pain, and I kind of look at like King of Pain as the father of Black Hole Sun. I don't know if anyone else sees that at all, but I, it's I, I always like this song. This is another one that you just hear it so much. It's just. It's kind of like the fabric of our culture, and I never get sick of it. I always love the line, there's a black hat caught in a high treetop. Yeah. You can visualize that. You can see that. You know, We've all had something, whether it's a kite or a jacket or something. But yeah, I mean, and listen, the Born in the 50s, that's a fun little romp, but it's, it's pretty forgettable. So King of Pain for me, King of Pain for Paul. Ribo, anything? Uh, I got to go King of Pain. I mean, they're both, they're both pretty cool, but King of Pain is... is is awesome but again i'm i'm pretty sick of that song too i've heard it a million times but it is it is very uh it is very descriptive like like you say it kind of paints a picture really nicely like every every line it, it you have a vision in your head of what what it looks like it paints a really yeah. nice picture, which is pretty cool and it's dark so i like that Th- there's a skeleton choking on a crust of bread it's like wow oh yeah charlie you got anything to say about either song um i'm gonna go with king of pain because it's just a i like stewart's intro the way he comes into the song. See, <laughs> Next time I go back to his house, I'm taking you guys with me. The drummers go, see, you did come in on a weird time. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of Stuart in that song. That's just so Stuart. It's such a, it, it's it, the way he plays, the way he'll flam something going into the chorus. Blah, you know, it's yeah, like, yeah, you know yeah. him the way yeah. he, he stinks that song up with all that stuff. <laughs> Do you notice how he, he does a lot of double snare hits too with both sticks? Like, yeah, he does it all the time. Yeah, and yeah, like that's I said, what you're describing. the sticks, just he adds that little thing to it that's just such a little drum hook, you know? Yeah, because he plays with the traditional grip too. That's what you call it, kind of the jazz Charlie Watts thing too. Yeah, he hits yeah, hard. Definitely a monster player. All right, now we get to the uh, the the uh, my uh, my second favorite police song when I was ten. Be my girl, Sally. <laughs> <laughs> Out of the two that you knew, yeah, exactly. Versus wrapped around your finger. Um, I'll start. I remember when I bought Synchronicity uh, the record, or um, however I got it, probably as a present or something. I really started to get burned out at this point in time because it really rocks. And then, like you said, Paul, side two actually ends with synchronicity two. Uh, sorry, side one. So synchronicity, so, so, side two is breath, pain, wrapped in your finger, and tea in the Sahara. All of those songs are very moody songs. King's a little bit more rocking, but that's pretty much three ballads. And one, and for, for us, I just got bogged down, like wrapped around your finger. And they're, they're awesome songs. But as a kid... It was too much for me where it was like, this is great. This is great. There's a ballad. There's another one. Yeah. 
<laughs> so that kind of was always an issue for me. But now, obviously, wrapped around your finger. I mean, what a great chorus. Super descriptive once again. But there's something to be said about a song that combines kind of a Beatles, kind of a kinks hook, along with a, uh, a an ode to a man's blow-up doll. <laughs> where it just stops. And then, like like Charlie said, Andy goes into this kind of Monty Python. She came all wrapped in cardboard, all pink and shriveled down. A breath of air was all she needed to make her lose that frown. I took her to the bedroom and pumped her with some life. And later in that moment, the girl became my wife. <laughs> what the hell is going on here? <laughs> I'll take Wrapped Around Your Finger only because of my next choice for the track 10. But it's pretty close because Sally's just, like I said, all I think about is, is you know my name, look up the number, and just that weirdness of the Beatles, which is also kind of a Zappa trait and a Monty Python trait. So, um, But I'll give it finger by a nudge. What do you think, Paul? I'm, I'm going to agree with you completely. The novelty finger is just a little bit more straightforward. Um, I really appreciate the novelty of the blow up doll. Cause that is freaking hysterical. However, <laughs> I, it's just, I, if I'm going to keep going back to the song over and over again, I mean, wrapped around your finger. And again, this is all, where was I 20 years ago, as opposed to today? Right. I think I find myself again, like I said, earlier the older i get the more i'm able to identify with a lot of synchronicity and again i think there's just like these these elements that tie it together you know wrapped around your finger um and i'll be wrapped around your finger it's like you know that that identity that you have with somebody and i i feel like it's just i'll go back to this one because of that contact you know that lyrical context gotcha what do you think charlie i agree with paul about that uh the lyrical content in this song is uh when you're in a relationship, it kind of, kind of hits you, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but this song, I, I have to be in the mood to hear this song. Right. If it comes on and I'm having a good time, and this comes on, it's just like a downer. For me. <laughs> it's like uh, I don't want to hear this song, and that's the way <laughs> I feel. The rest of this record goes. Yeah. It's just kind of, eh, you know, nothing really pumps me up, really. You know. It's very atmospheric. Well, it's not. It's not a happy. Video. It's not a happy record. No, it's not. And but the video was beautiful. I love the, the the way it was candles, everything with the can- candles, and it was it was great. And I think that made me like the song a bit more. You know, like most of the time back then, videos would probably make you like the song that yeah. you really didn't care for it too much. You know, mm. like girls just want to have it? fun. Oh yeah, it's a good song, but the video is fucking hilarious. You know, it's great. It's so fun. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So. And I never had I, I never had MTV. So it's so crazy because you guys keep referring to the the videos. I never saw the videos until my VH1 years later. So it was like for me, I never saw these videos as a kid growing up because I lived in the woods in Connecticut and we didn't have cable. We didn't have MTV. It didn't it didn't come to where we lived, so we couldn't have it. So I literally never saw these videos until I worked for VH1. And it was it's it's so interesting to hear people talk about how the videos shaped the way that they hear the music because I never had that advantage. It was, you didn't have, I, I don't know. Is it an advantage or is it a disadvantage? No, you do. You think you lived in the woods. You lived, you lived in the woods of Connecticut. We lived in the woods of Winnipeg, Canada. We didn't have no f- much mu- or MTV either. We might've had much music, maybe much music, right? <laughs> we still don't have yeah. YouTube. I don't even know how I'm doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> on your Watch Commodore 64, right? right. <laughs> he had one. 
You had one? Yeah. <laughs> Ryan, which what do you think? It's funny oh, Paul said that because um, we didn't have cable either. You know, when we were in the Bronx, we had this station called U sixty eight, and uh, you had to go all the way to the channel sixty eight, and it was from New Jersey, and they would play <laughs> videos and stuff. It, but, yeah, you know, and then there was another show called Friday Night Videos. Friday Night Videos, we had that. Say, Friday Night Videos is what I saw yeah. everything on, and then I had was one friend of ours. There was another show too, besides Friday Night Videos. See, and then one of my friends would tape Headbangers Ball, like once a month. He would tape Headbangers Ball, and we would literally pass the tape around so we could <laughs> see like the metal videos. But, yeah. but yeah, obviously, you weren't seeing the police on Headbangers yeah. Ball. Yeah, the Power Hour. <laughs> You know, it's funny is if you guys watch Fox News with all the political coverage, there's a guy called John Roberts, and he's always front row at all the presidential uh, press conferences or whatever. He he came from Canada. His name was J.D. Roberts, and he was the host of the Power Hour. So this will be the equivalent of like, Jamie, of like you know, Jamie Josta being the, the court reporter. For- <laughs> 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 yeah. Wow. Rival, which song do you choose between the two? Well, the thing about like Be My Girl Sally is I really love the quirkiness of the police. And, you know, that's a, a Stuart yeah. Copeland influence. And that really made me kind of get obsessed with the police. I think if they if they were all Sting kind of serious songs, I wouldn't have had the same affection that I have for, for the police. And so Be My Girl Sally just kind of really just throws it in your face that these guys are you know they don't care or they i don't know what it is but they yeah they're willing to go a little out there it just in the way that mother kind of being on synchronicity just to show that hey we're we're kind of different than your average band but that being said uh you know wrapped around your finger i that might be my favorite song on the second side of synchronicity Actually, I love the. There's so many. The guitar parts on there are so amazing, and you can't tell if it's keyboards or if it's guitars. There's all these like little guitar swells, and it's got that sort of exotic sound to it. But it's moving towards more of a sting solo mm-hmm. kind of career. But it's it's got that world music. There's something really alluring about it that kind of takes you on a on a journey it takes you kind of away which is is pretty cool and there's some great splash work on there from from stewart and stuff i think that's a great song so i'm gonna have to go with that especially when it uh, it feels like it could just be staying on his own until the drums kick in at that certain part with the double double crack double snare Ka-chong. all right final track uh masoko tanga versus t in the sahara um what do you think, Charlie? Uh, this, well, I like both these songs, but I, th- I, I think "Tea in the Sahara" reminds me of "Walking on the Moon," mm. and it's definitely something that it would have been on Sting's first solo album. Totally yeah, has right. that feel. It does it totally does? But uh, just the, I don't know, man. This is not an easy one for me either because I love the way. The, that album ends. The first album ends. Um, I'm going to go with, uh, I don't know. Can I come back? <laughs> <laughs> this is the hardest one. Okay, I'll jump in. I'm, I'm going to make it easier for you, Charlie. I'm a Masoko Tanga guy all the way. From the moment I heard the song, here's, here's one of my favorite elements of The Police that people never talk about. It's almost like Gene Simmons and Kiss. Sting's bass playing is fucking great. It's second to none. And you saw that on the reunion tour they did uh, when the world 
starts running down. You do the best of what's still around. They did a big jam at the end, which was all Sting and Andy. And Sting is so great. And Mosoko Tanga is basically a Sting bass solo. And all Andy does is the Alex Lyson. And all it is is. And then here's the best part. You think that he's just um, uh, like kind of scatting over the top. Yeah. But it's also like Masoko Tanga is Swahili and he's kind of scatting, but he's almost like, like, here's the lyrics. Remember the ones that we talked about as far as uh, uh, like a, like a trollop on a red light street and the humility kick in the crotch. Or here's another one. Don't buy bossy de la lambombe. Ping pong dolly zole da la lo. I don't think he's singing perfect Swahili, but it stings. So he probably does know how to speak Swahili because why wouldn't he? You know, right. he can have sex for 90 minutes. Why can't he speak Swahili and, and play great bass? So he probably T- watched Help. That's why. <laughs> exactly. So uh, once again, T in the Sahara, great tune, but it was just too much for me. It's, there's too many ballads in a row. And the, the Masoko has the, the, the energy that I love about the police. And Sting's just immaculate bass playing. So I'm taking that all the way. Okay, I'm going with Chris, too. All right, Masoka. What do you think, Paul? I love Tina Sahara. I got to go Tina Sahara. And I, 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 I totally vibe with everything you're saying. Uh, Tina Sahara to me, and again, it goes back to, as far as the album goes, it's, it's such a, uh, I feel like it's just a perfect ending for the album. There's like a hopefulness to it. There's a hopefulness to it, but there's also just the dark despair. It's 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 a like you, you feel like oh this the optimism of having tea in the Sahara, the, the whole meeting with this, and then in the end it doesn't happen and they just rot away like waiting. I feel like it's the the perfect. Um, it's airy. It's got this like ethereal feel to it as it ends the album, and it's you feel like it's happy but it's just dark and brutally sad and i feel like it's just the perfect ending to this record and the perfect ending to the police's career to be honest with you right rival yeah i agree with everything you guys have all said i mean it's it is a, it's it's a depressing ending for the album it just leaves you kind of wanting more you know it's it it's leaves you with that feeling in your gut i don't know and and maybe that's kind of why i would almost want to pick Maso- masako tango i can't even pronounce it but uh it kind of and that song kind of sounds like tequila to me though that's i've always thought of that i could just <laughs> imagine peewee herman dancing to that song and it kind of throws me into a different uh, head space but you know it's cool cool drums in there too and it, it it's another one of their the sort of police thing where they just had to come up with the track and they just you could tell they just basically banged it out in like one or two takes it's a jam it's got that nice yeah and i i I, that's another thing that i always loved about the police too not everything was so refined you know and Mm. definitely synchronicity that whole album is very refined compared to all of their other albums but especially the first one one of the best jams that they've ever made a song into is on Zenyatta Mandata, Voices in My Head. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's it's like one of the best songs, and like nobody talks about it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's so amazing. Stuart plays so great on that song. Amazing. Too. Amazing. On that. And, and that's and for the reunion, that jam that I told you about. It starts with Voices. And then it morphs. It, then it morphs into when the world keeps running down. You do the best of what's still around. So it was a big, long kind of eight-minute piece, which was basically just an instrumental. So it was very, very cool uh, stuff. And also, too, just once again, the, the comparison between the Beatles and the Police. 
look how the police ended their, you know, kind of album release career in comparison to how the Beatles left theirs with, you know, uh, and in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take. And this one ends with like this tea in the Sahara and we're all dead and we're done. We're and- all dying in the desert with sand running through. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's also, it's also just funny because you talk about like the last two songs on the, on Outlandis. It's, you've got a blow up doll. And then you say something to remind Ribo, you said something that reminds you of tequila with Pee Wee Herman dancing. And it's just like the, it's just like the, I feel like it's how the band changed and morphed and, like you said, I think right. Chris earlier, this totally just bridges us right now to the pretentious Sting solo career. Yeah. And I'm a fan of the beginning of the pretentious. I'm a huge fan of the beginning of the pretentious Sting solo career. And then it just got so far gone. Yeah. He started to lose me. And it was like, um, but this, this is like, this ending is nothing like you don't think of Pee Wee Herman when you hear this ending, you know, it's yeah, we, there's we no all, blow up dolls on this album. We all like dream of the blue turtles, but we all skipped stings loot album. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and we will say that there is a bonus track. If you had the cassette of murder by numbers, but we're talking the vinyl. So, um, if anybody says, well, there was a, a, a 11th track, there was, but it was a bonus track. So this album ends in T in the Sahara. So, uh, our, our our debate comes to an end, and now we basically have the final question of which album do you choose, Synchronicity or Outlandis D'Amour, as your uh, favorite of the two? Paul? And I'll, I'll go first since I've said this repeatedly already. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. It's it's What is? Synchronicity? Synchronicity, yeah. Yeah, Synchronicity, it's one of my Desert Island picks. It's uh, one of my favorite albums of all time, and it's Synchronicity by a landslide. And I love Outlandis. I love the whole police catalog, but Synchronicity to me is up there with it's up there with Perfect Records. It's up there with Dark Side of the Moon for me. I just I love this record that much. Rivo, yeah, man, I love Synchronicity. is one of my favorite albums of all time. I think it's just written. It's immaculate. It's just put together perfectly. I love it, especially if you put Murder by Numbers on there. But I know we're not allowed to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say it. Don't say it. It's, it's the Voldemort of songs. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so I have to go with that. But at the same time, I mean, probably I would put on Outlandis maybe before Synchronicity. Synchronicity is almost like a whole, I want to listen to the whole album all the way through where Outlandis is. I can pick, you know, songs off there and, and just really rock out to that and, you know, they're, they're both so different. It's really, it's almost apples and oranges to compare them. Yeah. But I, you know, I if I pressed, I'd have to choose synchronicity. Well, well Rabbi, what you just said is interesting because, like I said, I'm a vinyl fanatic. And it, it's, it, synchronicity is one of those albums I don't mind just having alexa play you know what i mean play play synchronous now she's gonna start playing it i can't say that but um i i don't <laughs> like it literally she just started to um but outlandis is one you go to on vinyl it just outlandis has like to me a much better vinyl feel to it and synchronicity almost it's like the dawning of that digital age where you could listen to it digitally and as a full album it has a different it does, it's not as vinyl geared as the other one i don't think Good point, yeah. What do you think, Charlie? What's your choice? One album is immature. One album is mature. Mm. I'm going to go for the immature one uh, (laughs) because it's just raw and it's uh, it's the police. It's their first album and there's so many great songs off that record. And um, it excites me when I hear it. When I listen to Synchronicity, no offense, it just doesn't excite me like that first album does. 
kind of makes me want to just have tea in the Sahara. Yeah, I got to agree. I, I think you can't deny how much of a monster synchronicity is. I think it's one of the reasons why we're kind of, Charlie and I kind of poo-pooing it a bit. Any album that has four giant singles like this one has, that's why I think we don't really need to hear it as much. So I'm taking synchronicity, but I will say this. I think that the one, two, three punch of Outlandus of Next to You, So Lonely, and Roxanne uh, blows away the one, two, three punch of, of synchronicity. And it might even blow away all the other albums as well. So they came out of the gate just roaring. And once again, that's why we all love The Police. There's only five albums to choose from. And they're all different in a lot of ways, which no band has been able to do that with the exception of The Beatles. Like even Guns N' Roses, they went a different direction, but then it was done at the end of Use Your Illusion. So I think just um, a really great indication of the beginning of this band that had an A album and the end of this band that had an A-plus album and all the ones in between were B-pluses or A's as well. So no other rock band will ever have that legacy like The Police did. A trio. A trio, exactly. Did The Police end as a ballad band? Yeah. Like, just if you look, what, like when you I look at they ended as a ballad band. They really did. No, they actually well, ended on that terrible remix. That's <laughs> right. Don't dance so close. <laughs> but let's let's look at the singles though. The singles were "Every Breath You Take," then "Wrapped Around Your Finger," then "Synchronicity 2," then "King of Pain." So singles wise, they didn't end as a ballad band because they started with the two ballads, and then had the kind of the because I, I consider "King of Pain" to be more of a rocker than anything. It, it's not a ballad per se. But um, I think if you look at the yeah, output of the cool. second the tempo, yeah. But I would say that it ended more of a sting kind of ballady band than they did. You know, this is the guy that five years earlier on Fallout or sorry, Dead End Job was yelling cunt <laughs> at the end of the song. And five years later, he's having tea in the Sahara. So you can see his. <laughs> but, he, but the thing about those guys, too, is each one of them had an identity. Yes. Stewart's identity was just like he was such a monster behind that kit you know it's just uh and sting too just that yeah that identity and then you had andy was the only guitar player and yet he had this type of uh i don't know why i keep wanting to say like robert fripp type of uh well of course that's that's his one of his heroes man that's what he had well that's one of fripp's heroes too and he always played a telly and uh and he influenced so many things like i don't know if there would be an edge without andy song oh yeah and yeah. that that's what I was just going to, we, we've kind of, we've been raised in a culture of more, more, more. And, you know, if you're not Eddie Van Halen, if you're not Slash, if you're not like the Angus Young, you got to be larger than life. And especially with guitar, everybody thinks the guitar, it has to be larger than life. But Andy really, he was, he was about atmosphere. He was about mood and he didn't, he didn't need to, he didn't need to blow you yeah. away with a solo because he did what was best for the song. And that's what made the band what they were and it's the same exact it's so prevalent in trios i think look at and like we've been talking about alex it's the same thing he wasn't trying to steal the thunder from anybody look what works best think, for the song i also think charlie's point if had there been no police i don't think rush would have been quite like they were in the 80s when you get to signals and grace under pressure and power windows i love that era of rush but it's so police influenced especially now that charlie pointed that out that yeah. that walking on the moon court you know, you hear that yeah. so much in those uh, it's, songs. It's the same chord as, uh, are we the last one still alive? 
Oh, with a little bit of pressure. What is that? Yeah, that's Red Sector A. Bow, ow, 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 down, down, ow. It's the same chord. Yeah. It's the police. Yeah. That's and it, it, so it's, I've, I've never, until you brought that up, because now I'm thinking, and it's, it's like that earlier rush was heavier. The earlier rush had that little bit more of a metallic feel to it. And then they evolved. And by the time you get to, um, why am I flaking on the album? Um, hold your fire. I was flaking on the yeah, album yeah, title. Yeah. Um, by the time you get to hold your fire, hold your fire is kind of like synchronicity. You know, it's not. Well, it's that all not, started with signals in '82, which is right when the police were at their peak, kind of thing, too, right? So yeah, yep. that's the most police sounding for me, at least. That's when they really yeah. adapted to. Wow, that sounds a lot like the police. I think that uh, now that we've discovered this in a few months, we should get together again and do another classic album clash for. Regatta de Blanc versus Zenyatta Mondata. That might be a good way to go. Those two yeah. are hard. Because yeah. those, those are really hard. That might be, that'd be harder than the, that might be a better debate. So we, we hooked them with this one and then we'll get even <laughs> deeper, uh, even nerdier if that's possible. For the second three. <laughs> I'll start stud. I'll, st- I'll have notes next time. This is top of my head. I'll have notes like Charlie. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. This has been great. And uh, let's do it. We'll do the next. We'll do album two and three next time. And can we call Sounds Stuart great. at the end of it and tell him what we voted? <laughs> <laughs> I've got backup, Stuart. You did play a weird time in the game. <laughs> An intervention for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he'll love that. He'll come over with his glasses and his headband and beat the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs>